0: So we're starting a new series this weekend, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the passages in the book of Isaiah. And uh, interestingly enough, these passages have been confusing to scholars for for many, almost hundreds of years, because the thing about them is, as you read the book of Isaiah, and you read these messianic passages in the book of Isaiah, sometimes you read it, and he it speaks about him being the King of kings and Lord of lords, and how he's going to rule this messiah. And then there's other times that you see that he's not ruling, he's suffering, and 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 there's very strange things said that we, we wouldn't attribute to a king who's ruling and reigning. And so scholars have wondered if it's two different people or what's going on there. Um, I take the view that it's uh, the messianic psalms uh, of Isaiah are speaking to Jesus uh, about Jesus, but they're they're what they're doing is they, that Isaiah is sharing two comings of Jesus. first, His first coming as a suffering servant, as a, uh, a Messiah. And then His second coming as the King of Kings. Uh, so we want to look at those and unpack those uh, passages. Because even in the passage we're going to look at the, this weekend for uh, our text, uh, we'll see both of those in the, t- in the passage. We'll see both of those concepts in the passage. So, uh, for instance, Jesus. So one of the things that we see about Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says this. The Son of Man. This is one of those messianic phrases that's used of this Messiah. And Jesus used it of Himself. He spoke of Himself as the Son of Man and uh that was certainly um made reference to uh people who knew the the book of the the Old Testament and the book of Isaiah would immediately have thoughts of this messianic figure of son of man. But Jesus says this in Matthew 20:28, 20, the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what we're going to do is uh, And we're told, too, that one day Jesus is going to come and He's going to rule and reign. And He's going to be King of kings and Lord of lords once and for all. Uh, so the passage we're looking at is found in Isaiah 42. If you'd like to turn there, we're going to read the first nine verses. Now, this is going to be uh, one of those passages as we read through it, and you'll see it as we go on in the weeks weeks to come, that it's kind of tricky, it's kind of... It's it's just kind of one of those things where you go, what is, what is going on here? What is he talking about? And it's going to be a little bit challenging. And so what I want to do is I'll read this passage from Isaiah. Then I want to show you where Matthew used it in his gospel and he applied it to Jesus. And then we'll talk about the implications for us. So uh, Isaiah 42 verse 1, let me start reading at verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and I will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry or raise his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out in faithfulness he will bring forth justice he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth in his teachings the islands will be will put their hope this is what god the lord says the creator of the heavens who stretches them out who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it i the lord have called you in righteousness I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison, to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and the new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. <coughs> so three things that we see about uh, this messianic f- figure, and we I believe it to be Jesus. The first one is he's the powerfully meek servant. What we're, who we're talking about is we're talking about the creator of the universe, the one who created the universe, the one who created all mankind in his image, who came to earth, but not as a king, but as a servant. Uh, when we look at the life of Jesus during His first coming, we see him. He's behaving very meek and lowly. He doesn't shout in the marketplace. As it's said in this passage, he, he won't shout in the marketplace. He is the King. He's the rightful King. He has a right to shout in the marketplace. He has the right to bring justice. But He won't do it the way we think. He sought to keep a low profile. One of the things that we see with Jesus is he kept a low profile. So I want to show you from the New Testament where uh, some of this passage was applied uh, by Matthew. And he knew of this Isaiah passage and he applies it to Jesus when something happens in Jesus' life. So if you want to turn over to Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 9, let me give you the context of what's going on. One of the biggest so it's going to take me a little bit of time to lay the foundation so then we can talk about well, what, does that, what difference does that make in our lives. So I'm just laying a foundation, so bear with me a little bit. Your 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 effort will be rewarded. So in uh, Matthew chapter 12, what we see happening is Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields. Through, you've, maybe you've done it. You've grabbed the the... The, the wheat in your hands or the, and, and you have all this wheat or something, and you know we used to blow it, you know, and stuff like that. And, uh, but Jesus is doing that with his disciples, they're popping the wheat in their mouths, and it's the Sabbath day. So the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they hear about this, and they're offended by this, you know, and that's work on the Sabbath. So this is the biggest thing that they have against Jesus, that he's violating the Sabbath rules. Now, Jesus is the Lord of lords and King of kings. (laughs) He created the Sabbath. He can do whatever he wants on the Sabbath. But again, he's not coming in that power and in that might and in that authority. He's coming as the servant. So he's challenged on this. So he comes to the temple. And this is where we find uh, the passage picking up. Going on from that place, he went to their synagogue, excuse me, the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you have a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, <coughs> stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just As the sound, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now let's just stop there for a minute. So notice what happens here. They're challenging Jesus about the Sabbath. Jesus is stepping up and he's challenging them about their view of the Sabbath. What he says to them is this He says, Is it lawful? They say, say, He sees a man with a shriveled hand. He says, Is it lawful to heal him today? Sabbath day? And uh, they're, of course, it's crickets, you can't hear anything, they're, they're not going to answer back. And so he says, you know, if a sheep fell uh, into a ravine, one of your sheep fell into a ravine, you would rescue it, because you would know that if you didn't rescue it, it would die. So you would absolutely do that. So what's the difference? Because this man is more important than a sheep, and so instead of... Them seeing Jesus heal this man with a withered hand and seeing the miracle beat that Jesus performs, instead of being amazed by them saying, you know, maybe this is the Messiah, maybe this is the one sent from God. Instead of doing that, what do they do? They go out and they plot to kill him. Now, this is where Matthew takes the Isaiah passage and he applies it because Jesus has made a scene in, in the synagogue. Notice what happens. It says that they uh, just uh, 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 so he stretched out his hand and he completely restored it just as sound as the, uh, his hand was just as sound as the other. The Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now, notice this aware of this. Jesus withdrew from the place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. <coughs> he warned them not to tell others about him. Now, this is very interesting he doesn't want to get a following. He doesn't want to get popular. He doesn't want to become this popular leader. So what does he do? Well, notice what he does. This uh, he, he warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fill, fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. By the way, those are the words that were spoken about Jesus at his baptism by his Father in heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The fulfillment of that. All right, he goes on. Uh, this here is my servant whom I have cho- uh, chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will be proclaim justice to the nations. And then notice the next phrase. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. And then that, that phrase from Isaiah, you remember it? A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through victory. In his name the nations will cry, uh, will put their hope in him. Now what's going on here? What is what is Isaiah what is Matthew saying? How is he applying this passage to Jesus? Well, here's what he's doing jesus he was confronted by the religious leaders he's had a moment with them he's had a confrontation he's getting a following and so what does he start to do instead of stepping up and proclaiming who he is and gathering a following he begins to go into the shadows he begins to to back down a little bit he 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 retreats into the shadows and this is what, what Isaiah is saying that he is going to go into the shadows that last phrase where it says <coughs> a bruised reed he will not break i don't know if you've seen a stalk of a, a plant where the the stalk gets bent or but it it doesn't it doesn't break through uh but it's still, but it's lost life because it's lost his life, but it's broken. And the idea is that he he won't do that. The idea is that a a, a a wick that's about ready to go out, he passing by it won't even snuff it out. In other words, he's going to make himself quiet behind the scenes. Now, why is he doing that? Because it's not his time yet. It's not his time yet. So he picked he picked and chose where He was going to be uh, vocal and, and where He was going to exercise His power and His might. Uh, then he, there were times where He did he went back into the shadows. He went behind the scenes. Why? Because it was not yet His time. You see, Jesus, being the King, being the Messiah, had every right to, to demonstrate His power. Instead, He chose the path of meekness working behind the scenes. Now, one of the amazing things of the first coming of Jesus is that he withheld his power, his eternal power, his his majesty and his might. He withheld his identity. Um, Even when he was charged in his trial... He says, well, who are you? And, and he says, well, who do you say that I am? You know, uh, he came as a servant. He took abuse. He held back his power. He gave up his rights for us so that we, he could bring salvation. In other words, Jesus had the perfect human temperament. Now, what do I mean by that? He was all powerful, but he was also meek. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, but he came as a servant to serve, to seek, and to save the lost. And and this is where we draw the lesson for us. Okay? Because Jesus chose when to speak and to be powerful and to be bold, but then he also chose times to be humble and to take the back seat and to be quiet. So I want to ask you because uh if you if you look in the middle of the guide this week, this is this is where the life groups will be studying. This part right now that we're talking about. And they're going to go into a little more depth. But let me, let me begin the discussion right now for a moment. Some of you are bold and brash. You're confident. You're outgoing. But the question is, is the Gospel developing in you, alongside your boldness, a kindness, a graciousness, a humility... Are your friends who know that you are bold and brash seeing a new meekness alongside of that boldness? Is the Gospel turning that boldness and making you tender because you're constantly reminded that you're a sinner saved by grace? And it breaks you down and it humbles you and you remember that your Lord who was the King of kings and Lord of lords who could have shouted from the streets, who could have displayed His power and might at any moment, withheld it for you and for me. He was bold. was powerful. He was mighty. But He withheld it for us. Some of you are sitting there and you, you're meek. You're mild-mannered. Regular Clark Kent. You don't like to make waves. You don't like conflict. You avoid it at all cost. You think, well, that's safe. Hmm. The question to you is, is the Gospel making inroads into your personality are you finding a new boldness and a directness? Are you, are you finding times where you're speaking up when you need to speak up? There are times where you have been mild and meek and you haven't spoken. You haven't said what needs to be said. You have been quiet. You have, you have regretted it, but you should have spoken up. You should have said something. Are you tender, meek, and mild, becoming more confident and bold because you understand that you're saved by grace? Do you remember that though Jesus was meek and mild, there were times where He stood up and He spoke. There are times where Jesus called the, the religious leaders, you brood of vipers. No, I don't think we ought to go out and start calling people names, but there was a time to speak. You know, if we were to put this in the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, we would say there's a time to be bold and brash. And there's a time to be meek and mild. And Jesus knew how to balance that out. If you are His son and daughter, or daughter... You should humble. You should be humble and bold at the same time. Jesus didn't break a bruised reed or snuff out a smothering wick, but he also was bold and direct when he needed to be. The New Testament summarizes, Paul summarizes, and he uses a phrase, and it's a very interesting phrase. He talks about speaking the truth in love. And that's in the center of your guide. You'll see that verse out there. Paul says you need to speak the truth in love. There, you know, you have friends who they speak the truth, they're bold about the truth, and they come through like a, like a, like a, just a, a wrecking ball in your life. And they tell you everything that's wrong in your life, and they you know, I've had some people do that to me and say, but Pastor, I'm a prophet from God. Meaning as though that prophets from God get to say mean, heartless things. To people that they think are doing wrong from their perspective. But it's not done in love. The opposite is somebody who just speaks loving things. They just say nice things, but they never really get to the truth. Like if you have a spouse or a friend, and you say to them, do I lose my anger quite a bit? And you do. and, And they know it. And instead of saying... Yeah, you do sometimes. They say, no, you don't do that. (laughs) Right? Paul says you can't, you can't, you have to speak the truth, but you also have to do it in a loving way, which means sometimes you have to say hard things. And what you have to do is you have to be like the prophet who came to David in his sin and told him a story. And David got all upset and all mad. And finally, Nathan pointed his finger at David and said, Thou art the man. And he just stuck it in. But he did it at the right time, in the right place, in the right way. So David could hear what he needed to hear. You read that story in the Old Testament. The point is, you shouldn't be the same person you were last year. You should not be the same person that you are today, next year. The gospel should be continually changing your temperament. Let's just stop this thing that says, oh, that's just the way he or she is. Not if you know Jesus Christ it isn't. It can't be, it shouldn't be, it mustn't be that way. We are often all about, and I find this true in our culture more than ever, we demand our rights. We're offended when people don't treat us with respect. I don't think Jesus was treated with respect when He walked this earth. I'm so glad that He was willing to be meek and mild when He needed to be meek and mild. And I'm glad He was bold and brass when He needed to be bold and brass. Though he was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he willing he was willing to be a bruised reed and a smoldering wick. He did not disturb. So that's the first thing. Secondly, he's the only true Savior. He's the only true Savior. Isaiah says this in uh, Isaiah sixty-one. This is another passage where Jesus is in the temple. We're, we may cover this later on. I'm not sure if I have it. If this is one of the passages we're going to look at, but Jesus is in the temple one day and he reads. This passage, and this is what it says, <clears throat> Isaiah sixty-one one through three. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release from darkness the, uh, the, for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of God's favor. The day of vengeance of our God to comfort those who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Now, let me just stop there because we don't have time to go there. But it's interesting. When Jesus reads this passage, you want to know where he stops? Here's where he stops. And again, this is this whole idea in Isaiah where you have passages that speak about his humility, coming as the suffering servant. But then there's another part where He's coming as the King who's going to bring justice, right? That's what the passage that we read at the beginning said. But notice what it says. It, it, it says this. He says, He sent me, this is Isaiah 61, He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops there. And he closes the seal up. Now what comes after that? What comes after that is the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus sets the, sets the scroll down, the Isaiah scroll down, as he's in the, in, reading in the synagogue, in the temple, and he says, today this passage has been fulfilled in your presence. I'm the fulfillment of it. That's what he was saying. So that's another time and another day. But the point I want you to see is this. And this is where I think we come in. I think people today are more lonely, depressed, disappointed with relationships, careers, and life in general than maybe at any other time on this planet. We in America believe that we live in the land of the free, right? Is in America the land of the free? And we are free. We have a lot of freedoms. We could do things in America. What we're doing right now in America is not, is not people aren't Christian. Brothers and sisters in Christ are not able to do this in many, many other countries around the world. So we have that freedom. But Jesus came in the, in the first passage we read in Isaiah. In Isaiah uh, chapter 42, it says a few things about Jesus. That he came to bring light. And Jesus, when he was on his earth, remember what he said in John chapter 8? He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I think people are in darkness today, spiritual darkness today. I think many of the unsatisfied, struggling, lacking purpose, lacking meaning is all about because they're in spiritual darkness Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind. There is a point in John's Gospel where Jesus heals a blind man. And it's very interesting when you look at the context of Jesus healing the blind man, you walk away thinking, well, Jesus is is the Messiah. He's God. Look at the power He has. He can heal a man born blind. (laughs) But as you read the context, what's going on there is you see many of the uh, disciples... And the people around Jesus are not understanding what Jesus, who Jesus is. So the point that Jesus is making is, this man is physically blind, but everyone around him is spiritually blind. That's his point. And so are they today. Spiritual blindness still exists today. Many people are very spiritual. To pe- we have a lot of people who are very spiritual. They're absolutely lost and blind. Jesus came to set the captives free. And we often think that we're free, but <coughs> we're still slaves. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 6. He says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Jesus said, uh, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus came to release Uh, prisoners from the dungeon. Notice what Jesus says. This is John chapter 8. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs together. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus came to set us free from the problem and the power of sin. So I want to talk just for a minute about what is true freedom? Because as I said before, we think we live in a, and we do. We live in a free country, a political freedom. We have social freedom for the most part. We have a lot of freedom. We have personal freedom. Um, in America, in our culture, we're told true freedom is to be able to do whatever I want with, and with no really have any limitations or restrictions. I want to show you why that is absolutely nonsense. We're told, what we're told is, freedom is living my life with no constraints, with no limitations, with in any way I want to do it. <laughs> Excuse me. That's what we're told. That's essentially what's put out there. And I want to show you that that's absolutely nonsense. And I'll give you one illustration. I believe everyone in this room, I believe everyone in uh, listening to this message, watching it or listening to it, whatever campus, whatever your computer or laptop, whatever it is, every one of us has one thing that we want and we desperately need in life. To be loved by somebody. We want to be loved by somebody. We want to know that somebody loves us and somebody cares for us. I want to tell you something. You will never find that if you want the kind of freedom that I just described, that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. Do you know what happens? <coughs> Here's how love comes. Love comes in a relationship, whether it's a friendship, or between a husband and wife, or between parents and children, whatever it is. Love comes when you give up your rights for the other person. You can't have love without that happening. You, can, you, have to, you basically have to commit... To the other person, to be there, to <laughs> show up, to just to be present. You have to do that. Some of you have relationships that are one-sided. You're doing all the work and you're, you're getting nothing in return. And you say, I don't know what's wrong. Well, what's wrong is the other person's not willing to give up their freedom to be with you. That's what's going on. And here's here's the truth about it. The more that you're willing to give up your freedom for the other person, the deeper the relationship will go. That's exactly the opposite of what the world, our world, our culture is telling us. Our culture says do what you want with ever you with whoever you want with no limitations. And yet, the greatest need we have is love. And here's how love comes. Love comes when you fully commit your life to another person and both of you are willing to give up your rights for one another and make sacrifices for one another and forgive one another. When you begin to do that and you're both working at that, you will have love and you will feel love. And that's why many marriages are not working today. Because one or both parties are not willing to sacrifice for one another. They're not willing to give their lives to the other person. And, and it's easy to talk about. It. It's hard to do. But what I'm trying to say in all of this is freedom. If you want freedom, you can't have love. If you're willing to give up your freedom for another person and they're willing to give up their freedom for you, you can really go deep in your love. I think the ultimate freedom only comes not when we live our lives the way we want, but when we give our lives to our Creator God, our Savior God. We say, you gave your life to me, I give my life to you. Jesus said, come, follow me. Jesus says, my yoke is light, my burden my, my yoke is and my burden are light. And, and he basically says, you come and follow me and you'll find life. You won't find life going on your own. You'll go, find life as you hitch your wagon to him. That's where you find life. That's where you find freedom. It's, it's just like a kite. A kite cannot soar unless it's held by a string, by somebody who holds a string. <clears throat> when the rope breaks, the kite goes down. You will never soar in life until you find the one who loves you unconditionally. Here's the final thing I want to say. Jesus is the final king. This is the part of the passage. <clears throat> we looked at it very briefly. So up to this point, we've seen Jesus who has been the servant. He's been the Savior. And now we see the part where He's going to be the King because He's going to bring justice to the whole earth. Well, that hasn't happened yet as far as I know. We haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen justice come to the earth yet. But it says, "...in faithfulness He will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged be discouraged until He establish justice on the earth." One day, Jesus is going to come and He's going to set everything right. But that day, He's going to come as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He's going to bring justice to the earth. He will judge mankind. He will judge the living and the dead. And in 2 Timothy, we see Paul writes about this. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, Paul is instructing his protege, Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, this is what's going to happen. Paul probably wrote this towards the end of his life. He's instructing Timothy. He's giving his last charge. And he's saying, here's how it's going to be, Timothy. People aren't going to want to hear the truth. Preach the word anyways. Tell them the truth. Carefully instruct. Be patient with them. But they're going to want their itching ears fed by Anything that comes along, the next new thing, the next great teacher. We're living in that day today. We're living in a day where people reject God's word for the things they want to hear. There is a day coming, though, when Jesus is going to set all things right. Now, here's what generally happens when we talk about the second coming of Jesus. Everybody wants to get into this academic exercise of, is he coming before the tribulation? Is he coming in the middle of the tribulation? Is he coming before the wrath of the tribulation? Is he coming at the end of the tribulation? And you say, well, what's that all? Some of you are sitting there, Yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But here's the point. I find that what many Christians want to do today is, they want to study the word they want to do it as an academic exercise, but they're not willing to do what Paul said a couple of weeks ago he's They're not willing to allow the word to really delve into their heart. You should leave this place you should get when when you're done listening to this message you should say, God, what is it in my life that needs to change? Because I've interacted with your word. And if it, if it is, I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of Jesus Christ, we have absolutely failed in our task. If it is, I now understand what Matthew was doing as he applied Isaiah's passage to Jesus, we have absolutely failed if that's what you leave with. But if you leave saying, you know, I'm kind of brass and I'm a bull in a china shop and humility isn't my strong suit. Or if you say, I'm kind of a meek and mild person and I never speak up and now I realize that's not going to cut it anymore. Maybe you take from the message, I want love and I've always thought that love comes. From do whatever I want, whenever I want. Freedom comes. And you have to say, well, am I either going to take freedom or I'm going to take love? And love comes when you give up your freedom. Salvation came to us because Jesus gave up his freedom. He gave up his rights. He left his throne. He came to this earth and was ultimately destroyed by his own creation. He is the example for us to follow. So, if you leave and say, Well, I, I have this view of eschatology, how things are going to end, you know, how is it all going to end? We failed. Because here's, here's the bottom line here's all you need to know about eschatology in the Bible. We're not on the planning committee, we're on the welcoming committee. We're here to welcome him. We're here to be prepared. All the parables that Jesus talks about—the flints, and you know, the the bridegroom coming—and they don't—they're not prepared for the coming of the Lord. Our goal is to be ready for the Lord and to be be standing ready. Lord, here you are. Lord, come. Not. I think it's going to be. Write a book about it. Read a book about it. Speculate about it. Divide over it. What I do know, the Bible says, is this. Today is the day of salvation. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, today is the day to give your life to Him because He gave His life to you on the cross. You, you don't get to heaven by being a good person. You don't get to heaven by being uh, going to church or being a member of the right church. You don't do that. It, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you done that? You trust in Jesus or are you trusting yourself? Trust in Jesus or you trust in your own righteousness. One of the greatest things you could do this weekend is say, Jesus, I give my life to you because you gave your life to me. I need a savior. I realize I'm a sinner and I'm lost, and you're my only hope. Like the criminal on the cross next to Jesus, I need a savior. If you come to that this weekend, you've stepped from darkness into life. You've been set free by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. By the servant who came and gave up his rights, gave up his majesty and stepped back into the shadows when he needed to so that he could carry out his plan. The plan from eternity to save us. He did that for you. He did that for me. He willingly set aside his power and his might and his majesty. So that we could be free, so that we could be forgiven. Help that to be a reminder the next time you want to go off because you're offended by somebody said or somebody did something to you. Let's pray. Help us, Father, because it's easy to talk about, it's absolutely difficult to do. It's impossible to do without your Holy Spirit empowering us. I pray that your Spirit would take the word that was spoken That whatever was from Matt would be forgotten and just fall away. Whatever is from you, from your spirit, would take a root and begin to grow some new fruit in our lives. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, today would be the day that they would pray, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. You're my only hope. I'm like the criminal crucified next to you. I don't know what to do, but I do know where to turn. And I turn to you and I ask you to come into my life and to give me your forgiveness because I don't, uh, I can't earn it, I don't deserve it. But I realize that you you give it to me if I call to you. So I'm calling out to you right now. And Father, if they pray that prayer, I pray they'd let somebody else know. For the rest of us, Father, take whatever lesson or lessons we need to learn from this passage from this message, and, and, and begin to plant a crop that changes us so that we're not the same person in a year that we are today. For this we will give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.